It's an in-studio recording session today as we are entering the final week of the NHL regular season and we highlight a loss in the NHL world of a hockey legend, the Vegas Golden Knights roller coaster season and some of the highlights from them, the legend of Ryan Getzlaff, the inevitability of the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Tampa Bay Lightning and Alex Ovechkin, another marker on a historic season. All coming up, episode 130 of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Let's go. Today on this Tuesday, April the 26th show, Kyle Grimard, your host as always for the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Uh, give me a follow uh, at Kyle Grimard on social media. The show is at ST Hockey Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow it along on any podcast platform that you like, whether it's Google Podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's Spotify. Leave me a review. Send it to your friends, your family. I appreciate all of the support uh, that we have had throughout the show. And uh, again, things are a little busy right now. I don't really have someone who I want to bring on to the show, but when I do, uh, I'll try and keep... I don't think I'll be bringing on guests every single show, but I would like to start bringing on, you know, guests more frequently than one every like six months. So uh, regardless, it is going to be hopefully busier in terms of other people coming on to the show here. Uh, like I said, we're going to be talking about a lot of things here on the show. We got Alex Ovechkin, of course, another record that we'll get into. The Toronto Maple Leafs, Tampa Bay Lightning. They look like they're on a collision course for round one of the playoffs. We'll talk about them. Ryan Getzlaff looks like he played his final game in the National Hockey League. We'll talk about that. The Vegas Golden Knights, I feel like they're a topic every week now. They're heartbreaking to them. Lost to the San Jose Sharks and what that means for them and who was their backup goalie, which is just wild to me. But uh, we will start in uh, in some sadder news because I feel like it's more appropriate to start the show with this. Uh, Montreal Canadiens icon Guy Lafleur passing away at the age of 70. The team and family announced this past Friday the cause of death was not immediately made known for obviously privacy reasons, saying, quote, this is from the Canadians president, Jeff Molson, saying, quote, we are deeply saddened to learn of the death of Guy Lafleur. They're devastated by his passing. Guy Lafleur had an exceptional career and always uh, remained simple, accessible, and close to the Habs and hockey fans in Quebec, Canada, and around the world. Uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman released a statement as well. A lot of you know, significant players and people came out to show support. The Montreal Canadiens actually did really something incredible for their game, I believe, on the weekend prior to. They held a really nice ceremony. All the players represented number 10. And uh, it was just, it was a really nice moment to to commemorate him. And there were new stories leading up to this about, you know, the, the, the possibility that his health wasn't necessarily doing well and that for the time being, his family and, and the organization just asked that they have their privacy while they handle the situation. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, not just the family, but the world is losing an absolute hockey legend. Um, if, if you want a crash course on who Guy Lafleur was as a player... That he was selected first overall by the Habs back in 1971, following an incredible standout junior career where he had this is this is insane. In his junior career, he had 233 goals, 379 points in just 118 games over the course of two seasons with the QMJHL's uh, Quebec Ramparts, which is just remarkable. He is a five-time Stanley Cup winner in the 70s alone, including four 
consecutive championships between 1976 and 1979. He won three straight Art Ross trophies, three straight Ted Lindsay awards, back-to-back hearts, and a con Smythe during that four-year span. Absolutely insane. He led the league in scoring uh, in 1977-78 with 60 goals. And even though the Maurice Rocket Richard Trophy hadn't been created, so if you want to add another trophy to his resume, he was a Rocket Richard Trophy winner. That thing wasn't invented. His nickname, funny enough, was also the Flower. Marc-Andre Fleur Flower, the Flower Guy Fleur, is Montreal's all-time assists in points leader with 728 assists and 1,246 points, respectively. He also ranks second in career goals, only behind Maurice Rocket Richard. He spent his last three seasons with the uh, New York Rangers and Quebec Nordiques. He is 29th all-time in NHL points with 1,353, 40th all-time in postseason points. This is incredible. Postseason points, he played 128 games, 134 points in the playoffs. So not only did he perform in the regular season, he performed in the playoffs as well. He was also a part of Canada's um, uh, part of the Canada Cup back in 1976. He had six points in seven games during the tournament, and he was inducted into the Hockey Hall uh, NHL Hockey Hall of Fame in 1988. And the Canadians retired his jersey number ten in 1985. So, just felt it was only right to start the show off with honoring the late Guy Lafleur, passing away at the age of seventy. Um, just. If you needed to know his credentials and who he was, not just as a player, but an individual and what he meant to a community and the hockey world, I just gave you all the the lines and details and so many people posting on social media um, talking about what, you know, how he impacted their game to some extent, you know, shape or form. So um, just a, a tough loss for the world. And, you know, we will always remember number 10, Guy Lafleur. All right. I want to move on to our next story here because... <laughs> I, so I follow an account, uh, thescore.com. I, it's, it's one of my favorite accounts. They have score betting now. It's fantastic. And they're normally pretty up to date when it comes to uh, getting information out of the world that's, for the most part, correct. And I can't even blame them for this one. So the score earlier this week sent out a post that said Robin Leonard is conducting and getting ready to do season-ending surgery. For his shoulder. He's been battling it since February 9th. And then against the Sharks earlier in the week, he was the backup goalie in a game. And now the report comes out afterwards that he is once again going under the knife. So here's the explanation behind all that. Robin Leonard told the organization last Thursday that he'd be getting a procedure and that the team doctor agreed Saturday that the surgery was the best choice. The Golden Knights reportedly asked Robin Leonard to delay the operation and dress as their backup goaltender for Sunday's contest due to cap reasons. Reports surfaced later that Leonard would eventually undergo season-ending surgery later on in the week, and there was speculation that he has been playing through a significant knee injury that he also has dealt with. (laughs) the amount of stories that have come out about this team. This is the most roller coaster team. I think of this season, they were already favorites to make the playoffs and make a run. They add Jack Eichel. They trade away. Mark Andre flurry. They signed Robin Leonard to this fresh five-year deal. They don't start off. Well, they get riddled with injuries. Their caps, an absolute mess. Their cap is still an absolute mess. And there were reports out there, and I don't have it in front of me, but I, th- I believe from Puck Report, 
from one of the accounts I follow that apparently teams and, and players were texting and messaging the Sharks players about how they were rooting for them against Vegas. Vegas is not a like team. Players and teams and coaches and GMs do not like the Vegas Golden Knights. And it started the moment they got, and this is, this is what happens sometimes, you know, when you do business, when you do business a certain way. I don't blame them for the way they handled themselves during the expansion draft. They absolutely rob teams. I believe they got Jonathan Marcheseau because the Florida Panthers said, please take Riley Smith. We'll give you Marcheseau. They play on a line together. They have Plin playing on a line together outside of injuries their entire time. They've made trades with the Ottawa Senators to acquire Mark Stone. They got Marc-Andre Fleury for nothing. I mean, in fairness, they traded him for nothing. But they got a plethora of picks. And they really gave teams, they really, you know, pushed the limits of some teams and tried to take every single single thing that they could from them. And it works in the moment. And I agreed with that. I did not like Seattle's expansion draft. They could have taken Vladimir Tarasenko. They could have taken a plethora of other players that were on the board and chose not to. But they're, pl- they're trying to play the long game. They're trying not to be the Vegas Golden Knights. They're trying not to have teams hate them. They're trying to have teams not want to do business. They're not trying to have that. And I get that. But they're doing it the more conventional way. Vegas drafted an NHL-ready team day one along with getting picks and prospects and all that stuff. You know, they're not, they're not really a like team anymore. And, and I, I feel bad for Robin Leonard. I do. He's missed games. He missed five games in February with an upper body injury, returned for four games, then went on the sidelines for a lower body injury that kept him up for 12 games. Then he also went on Twitter to report that he was denying the fact that he'd fractured his kneecap, but now he's going under the knife for a lower body injury. His last appearance came April 20th. He allowed a goal on 13 shots, and then Logan Thompson replaced him for the rest of the game because he left due to injury. And I feel bad for the guy because he's one of the most outspoken players in the league. He talks about mental health. He's one of the forefront guys that that can talk about it, that is open about it. This, This Vegas team has been just an absolute roller coaster. And outside of feeling bad for Leonard, I think the whole hockey world loves it. I've never understood the hate for them. I get why San Jose hates them. But San Jose also came back from a 3-0 deficit in a series-clinching game, won in overtime after giving a five-minute penalty for something that arguably wasn't a penalty. San Jose friggin' hates them. I love that there's a rivalry there and that both teams are probably not going to make the playoffs and that it's still one of the best rivalries in the game. I love that Pete DeBoer was formerly the coach of the San Jose Sharks and is now the coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. But this has been the most tumultuous roller coaster up and down cap crazy trying to make trades. They tried to trade away of getting dad off. It didn't work. And now he's helping the team try to make a playoff push. It's absolutely friggin' nuts what this team has done and what this team has gone through. But there's a lot of people that also don't enjoy the way that this team conducts business when treating their star players. I mentioned this on the show before. Do you remember the name of the player that they acquired for Marc-Andre Fleury? Because I don't. And I'm not going to look it up. From what I remember about the player, he's a fourth-round pick. 
He's been he was drafted five or six years ago, and he's yet to play in an NHL game. Now, you could also make the argument Kyle was a cap dumb. That's fair. Chicago just turned around and traded Flurry for a first round pick if Minnesota makes the Eastern Conference Final or Western Conference Finals, which by the way, they are a wagon right now. They got they're getting great goaltending from both their guys. They didn't need Flurry, but they got him. And they and Chicago got a second rounder that could be a first rounder if Minnesota wakes makes the Western Conference final. This team is going to be very interesting. One, if they don't make the playoffs, but two, how they're going to approach their offseason. Because they went on. You traded away. How unreal, by the way, how unreal would Vegas be right now with Alex Tuck and Tage Thompson on their on their team? How vital would those two guys be? Tage Thompson has 38 goals this season. He's 24. But you gotta... Remember what... I, I came on the show and I made fun of, of Buffalo for trading away Zach, Jack Eichel and getting Alex Tuck a pick and some guy named Tage Thompson. I'm not... I'm wrong on that. Who's laughing now? Buffalo has got this... Owen Power, who's 6'6", Rasmus Dahlin's finding his game. They got first-round picks for Rasmus Ristolainen and Sam Reinhardt. Like, they have done the re- they have done the blow-up, quote-unquote, also already surrounded themselves with good, young talent. If they get out of Jeff Skinner, by the way, Jeff Skinner's having a pretty good bounce-back year. I made fun of the fact that he, he makes $9.5 million and one year he scored like 15 or 16 goals, but man, that dude has bounced back pretty nicely. Buffalo is in a good spot moving forward. For all the crap I gave them, how much better? By the way, Tate Thompson and Alex Tuck, both players cheaper than Jack Eichel. God, how much better? That's why you can't just load your team up with superstars. This is this conversation's changing, but I'm going with it. You know? And I understand that injuries are a big part. For a long time this season, that this Vegas Golden Knights team did not have players like Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Jack Eichel, Alec Martinez. They were hurting. But doesn't this just go to show how important it is? Riley Smith's been hurt for a bit too, but he's not a superstar on that team. Vegas has four former captains on their team. One of them is their current captain. Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, he was the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, Mark Stone, Ottawa Senators, Alex Petrangelo, St. Louis Blues, and Jack Eichel, Buffalo Sabres. They're all healthy now, and they're losing games. Yeah, you don't have your goalie, sure, but you should be good enough to go into a game with your backup goaltender and beat the San Jose Sharks. By the way, a game you were winning... By the way, a game where Jack Eichel and Mark Stone combined for zero points. That's what Paul Stasny at one point, who was a very good depth player. I'm just saying they have four former captains on their team. You know who their leading scorer is? 
I believe, Riley Smith. And then it's Chandler Stevenson, Jonathan Marchessault. I think Jonathan Marchessault is their leading point getter. Chandler Stevenson is their second leading point getter and possibly goal scorer. I'm just checking right now. But that's, that is not a... Jonathan Marcheseau has 64 points. Great season, by the way. 29 goals. Number two is Chandler Stevenson. Chandler Stevenson, who they got from the Washington Capitals, I believe the year after that he was part of the team that won the Stanley Cup. Max Pacioretty's only played in 36 games. He's got 34 points. Mark Stone's only played in 34 games. He has 28 points. Mark Stone, over his last one two, three, four, five, six, seven games has zero points. Jack Eichel, pointless in four games. It's not, that is... Everyone makes fun of the fact that Toronto Maple Leafs pay four guys all this money. They go, you can't win with paying just four guys. Right. And again, I will reiterate, injuries happen. Toronto's top four paid players are Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, and John Tavares. Take a stab at who their top four performing players are. Austin Matthews, 104 points. Mitch Marner, 97 points. William Nylander, 76 points. John Tavares, 75 points. Their horses are doing it. And by the way, their next highest paid player is Morgan Riley, who is also their fifth highest scorer with 66 points this season. And they get depth scoring too. They've got a 23-goal scorer, Michael Bunting, who makes less than a million a year. They've got Elian McKayev, who's a 20-goal scorer, who makes $1.6 million a year. Andre Cash has chipped in with 14. David Camp has 11. David Camp scored one goal last year. And Toronto's also had injury problems. Peter Mrazek, Jack Campbell, they've all missed games. Their goaltending's been hurt. Matthews has missed time. Bunting's missing time. Jake Muzzin's missing time. They're still winning. And in a harder division. Is it the the regular way to go about it? To play your top four players 50% of the team's cap? No. But when you're winning games and it works, who cares? That's the difference between Toronto and Vegas. I'm sorry I made this about Toronto. It's just they're the only other example I could come up with. Vegas might miss the playoffs, and if they do, it is going to be a roller coaster of an offseason as well. All right, let's move on here. I want to talk Ryan Getzlaff. And now, fans, please direct your attention to the Zamboni entrance. On behalf of Henry and Susan Samueli and the entire Ducks organization, a brand new, specially outfitted Ducks Custom Honda Talent, designed not only to help your chores around the house, but also on your now famous chicken coop. And perfect for fun with the entire family. And sorry, Ryan, tonight's professional driver is not included. Say hello to Tamo Saloni. Ryan, on behalf of the entire Dutch organization, the fans, and the players you inspired, thank you. Your impact on this club will never be duplicated. 
play potentially his final game in the National Hockey League against the St. Louis Blues. They lost 6-3, but he had an absolutely beautiful behind-the-back assist earlier in the game. Bakanainen turns it away every time Getzloff touches the puck. They cheer. Here he comes. Great pass. Score! Henrique with the finish. Perhaps the final assist of the career of Ryan Getzloff. Very fitting way for Ryan Getzlaff to potentially end his career with the Ducks on a uh, on a beautiful pass like that, and you know it's it's the guy has made a living off of doing that. He is the all time leader in games played with one thousand one hundred fifty seven assists, seven hundred thirty seven, and points one thousand and nineteen. He was also an absolute friggin' nightmare in the playoffs. He had 37 goals and 83 assists in 125 games. He also led the Ducks in with 17 points en route to their Stanley Cup victory in 2007. He is also a two-time Olympic gold medalist, a world junior gold medalist, a under-18 gold medalist, and has won the World Cup. Dude's an all-timer. Dude's an all-timer. Do you remember, by the way, the, the 2003 World Junior team? That's the that's the time he won the, the gold medal uh, for the World Juniors. The 03 team had Getzlaff, Perry, Crosby, Bergeron. Dion Phaneuf was also a part of it. I believe Carey Price. <laughs> Is that like the best World Junior team of all time? Because that lineup's friggin' insane to me. Getzlaff Perry, who then end up playing together, not, not just in, in, in Hanaheim, but they played together at the Olympics in 2010. I believe later on in 2014, they played the World Cup together, won that, and he was a part of the U18 gold medal team. Unbelievable. So I'm just, I'm trying to think, because I can go over his stats and everything like that. And we all understand how great he was. But just maybe if there's like a younger listener out there. Ryan Getzlaff was a guy who... It's like the same thing with Jason Spezza now. Right? You look at Jason Spezza's points. And Jason Spezza, I believe, has like 12 goals, 24, 25 points this season. You're like, oh, you know, Jason Spezza's pretty good. Pretty good vet. But Jason Spezza was like a first overall pick or second overall pick. Ryan Getzlaff was like a first-round pick, 19th overall. Ryan Getzlaff's career stats are absolutely staggering. From a season-to-season basis, this dude was like a bona fide lock-it-in lock 60-70 assist campaign and like 80-90 points because he'd chip in with 20 goals. Like this dude went, he was consistently in the 20-goal 20 20 goal range. 25 goals, 33 assists. 24 goals, 58 assists. 25 goals, 66 assists. 19 goals, 50 assists. 57 assists. 56 assists. 58. 50. This dude was an absolute nightmare putting up points like that. He's also a monster size-wise. The dude's 6'4", 220, prototypical number one center, and was a part of some of Canada's greatest international teams that they ever iced with the World Juniors, with the Olympics, with the World Cup. He was, whenever he was on the ice, because him and Corey Perry were a dynamic duo, and that's how Corey Perry was, you know, Corey Perry was a 50-goal scorer too in Anaheim. A lot of those plays came off a Ryan Getzlaff pass, and what a absolute dynamic duo that they had the quintessential captain 
he's one of the very few players in the history of sports that begins and ends his career with the same franchise. Now, there were reports apparently, uh, to th- according to 30 Thoughts podcast, about the possibility of having Ryan Getzlaff traded to a team, potentially to go compete for another cup. Corey Perry, inevitably, I believe, was recruiting him when he was in Montreal. Teams are calling about him at this deadline. He wants to be in Anaheim. He's a lifelong Anaheim Duck. He will always be an Anaheim Duck. I love that about him. I love that about his career. And just him showing videos of with his family growing up through Anaheim and where they were then versus where they are now. And he's over a thousand. He's an absolute, by the way, he's an absolute first ballot Hall of Famer. There, there's no argument. You can't argue that Ryan Getzlaff's not going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. The keys you want to being a Hall of Fame player are what? 1,000 points, a benchmark in either goals and assists. He's got 700-plus assists, so there's one. You need to be, you know, you have to, you know, a Stanley Cup goes a long way. You have to have international success. Well, let's cover those. The points, 1,019, hit it. Stanley Cup, did it in 2017. International, two gold medals, a World Junior, a U18 gold medal, and a World Cup. Is a lock, absolute lock for the Hall of Fame. It's not even a question in my mind whatsoever. And I just, congratulations. Um, you know, it was an absolute blast to watch Ryan Getzlaff back in the heyday. <laughs> I remember having him in fantasy hockey. I had a team where I had Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry in my fantasy team. And it, every single night, it was Corey Perry from Ryan Getzlaff. Ryan Getzlaff from Corey Perry. Ryan Getzlaff, two assists. Ryan Getzlaff, a point. It was, he was just a point machine in his heyday. And... There were a lot of Ducks teams that should have gone significantly further, but the West at the time was so stacked with either San Jose or Chicago or the Kings. And it was always, whenever they played at first round, it was always like this should be the Western Conference Finals because it was Anaheim, San Jose first round. Anaheim versus Chicago first round. Anaheim, LA Kings first round. Back when the Kings won two cups in a four-year span. And Ryan Getzlaff was always at the forefront of it. They had spectacular goaltending, whether it was from, yes, Ilya Brizgalov at the time. Jay Shiger was a part of that 07 team. Then they had the, the combination of a very young Frederick Anderson and um, John Gibson before John Gibson became the guy. But holy smokes, Brizgalov for a time was, was the guy there. And just absolute kudos to Ryan Getzlaff for the incredible seasons that he had and, and how good they were and how tough of an out that team was each in every year in the playoffs. And they were, they were a wagon for a while and he was the forefront of it. So congratulations to, to Getzlaff on just an absolutely spectacular career. Okay. Before we get, I want to talk Ovechkin before we head on out, but I, before that I want to talk. So there's one matchup currently in the, in the, in the Stanley cup playoffs. That's an absolute lock. The Minnesota wild St. Louis blues. They are going to play each other. I think St. Louis is not going to be able to get through Minnesota. But again, if the playoffs started today, and we did that whole segment last week on the show, it was Tampa Bay, Toronto. A week later, it's still Tampa Bay, Toronto. And the way that the wild card and and the playoffs are setting up right now, Toronto was five points up on Tampa with two games to go. Tampa has three. Tampa could potentially go and leapfrog Toronto, but Toronto would have to lose their next two. Tampa would have to win their next three. And Toronto plays Detroit tonight. Boston, I think, is a little too far behind. They have three games left, and they are at 103 points. So even if they win all three, they only get to 109, so they cannot pass Toronto. So right now, 
it is Toronto Tampa that will be there. That's going to be the first round as I'm looking at it now. It makes total sense. But again, Tampa would have to lose all three. Boston would have to win all three to make, to make that happen. This could honestly be a best blessing in disguise for Toronto. I was talking to a buddy about this and hear me out here before you start saying, Oh, Kyle, this is the worst thing. This is the last team I wanted Toronto to play. It's the last team. But hear me out for a second. If Toronto played Boston with home ice advantage and the third time that these teams are meeting in the last, what, five, six years? And Toronto loses? Gets blown up. A lot of people are going to pick Tampa Bay in the first round. And why wouldn't you? Toronto's won a playoff series in almost 20 years. I would pick Tampa Bay. But this is why I think they're a better match than Boston. Hear me out here. Tampa Bay plays more your style. And and also, I just want to point out the 8-1 loss that Toronto had to Tampa. Austin Matthews wasn't playing. Jake Muzzin wasn't playing. Jack Campbell wasn't playing. Those are three pretty important players when you're playing the top team, one of the top teams in the East. They get all three of those guys back. And the game before, Toronto went into Tampa Bay, handled them 6-2 with those guys in. If Toronto played Boston, Toronto was a better team than Boston. There's no question about it. You can't argue it. Boston doesn't have Tuka Rask anymore. They don't have that middleman in David Krejci. They don't have Zidane Ochara. And maybe the ghosts come in. But the way Boston beats you is over a seven-game, long, grueling, gritty, grinding series. They will cheap shot. And this is not an opinion. We saw this last game. Brad Marchand cross-checking John Tavares in the side. Punches to the head. Charlie McAvoy slew footing. They will cheap shot, injure, and wear you down. And then it doesn't become who's the best team. It becomes who's the healthiest team. Who has enough left in the tank to end the series? Don't believe me? Go back to the 2019 Stanley Cup final. Who were the top two teams? Who played? Boston and St. Louis. St. Louis had big guys like Patrick Maroon, Ryan Reeves, I believe. They had Colton Perenko, Alex Petrangelo, Ryan O'Reilly, who's a tough guy, Robert Tom. They had physical, tough. They weren't the two best teams. They were the two biggest bullies in the league. It was intense hockey. They were tight games. But I wouldn't say that that was the best hockey we saw in that playoff. They were the two toughest teams. It was the two final wrestlers standing in the ring at the Royal Rumble after 30 other guys went through. It's not Toronto's game plan, and that's going to be what Boston does because Boston knows they're not better than Toronto, talent-wise. They're not. Now, yes, you play the games and everything. And for Toronto, would it be nice for them to to get vengeance? And would the storyline be absolutely fantastic? Sure. But there's less pressure when you play Tampa. And if you win, 
you get to carry on your shoulders that you took out the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't love the matchup for Toronto. Tampa Bay is one of the worst teams you could bring. But that also means less pressure. It also means that you're not the favorite. Despite the fact that you're the home team. They play your game more. They play your style more. They can, they're chippy, sure. Toronto can be chippy. Look at their players. Michael Bunting, Wayne Simmons, Kyle Clifford, Colin Blackwell, Ilya Mikheyev. They can be chippy. The only problem is goaltending. Vasilevsky. Because at the end of the day, he's the, he's the best goaltender in the world. But this isn't last year. You don't get a Montreal who they still lost to because they were the heavy favorites and that home ice. They will not be heavy favorites in this matchup. Every matchup would, would pose difficulties. You were either going to get Florida, Carolina, Boston, or Tampa Bay. Tell me where the good matchup is. Florida? Right, because they average four and a half goals a game. That's going to be a track meet of a, of a playoffs that you might not win. Carolina and revisit the ghost of Frederick Anderson on one of the best defensive teams in the league. Doesn't sound like that much fun. Boston, all your past ghosts dating all the way back to 2013. None of the players were on Toronto during that series. Ask Morgan Riley. He was a young Morgan Riley on that team. Or Tampa. You deal whatever you're given with. But I think this series could be a blessing in disguise. Do I love it? Do I think they're going to be the favorite? Do I think they, they could potentially even win it? I don't know. Not really. Maybe not. But that could just be what they need. The last time they weren't favorites in a series... They took the President Trophy leading Washington Capitals to six games and they were up 2-1 in the series. They took the Bruins when they were down 3-1 to seven games and almost beat them in a series. They were up 5-4 in the game. They just got horrific goaltending. You deal with what you've been given. Tampa Bay just might be the blessing in disguise. And honestly, the power boost that they needed because if you're Toronto and you haven't gotten past the first round in God knows how many years, and this core alone hasn't made it past first round in what, five, six? And you go into round two knowing you just knocked off the Tampa Bay Lightning and Vasilevsky and Kucherov and Point and Stamkos and Hedman? Who do you think is going to beat you at that point? That's my argument. I'm not saying it's easier but I'm saying it could be less pressure because if you don't win, then everyone's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Tampa Bay. I just, I, I think it's a less pressure scenario in an already pressure cooker market like Toronto. This could be a blessing in disguise. All right. And finally, I want to get to here, uh, Alexander Ovechkin, another milestone game earlier on. He scored his 50th of the season Wednesday night, last Wednesday against the Vegas Golden Knights, marking the ninth time in his career. 
He has reached the 50 goal plateau. He is now tied for the all time leading, uh, all time record with most 50 goal seasons in NHL history with Wayne Gretzky and Mike Bossy with nine. He scored two goals in the game to tie the game at fi- uh, tie the game at three. It was his ninth 50 goal season. He is also the oldest player in NHL history to do it at 36. He passed Team Mussolini for the record back in 2006, 2007, when I believe Team scored 48 in that season, I believe, with Anaheim. 36 years of age, 780 career goals. <laughs> this is insane. He's 21 away from Gordie Howe, who sits second all time and 114 behind Wayne. We are almost, by next season, he will pass Gordie Howe and will be within double digits of Wayne Gretzky's all-time career goals list. I read a I read an article that said if Ovi hit the 50-goal mark, he'd be at, quote, 780, which he is now. I think he's going to stay at that because he's a little banged up and he's going to want to be healthy going into the playoffs. But if he stays at that, Over his next four campaigns, I believe he only needs to average 28 goals a season. Which, by the way, he's never done before. You know, he's never scored fewer than 32 goals in a season. He's done it twice. 2010-2011, hit 32 goals in 79 games. He still had 85 points. And then in the 2012-2013 season which he led the league in goals with 32. Why? Because it was a lockout shortened year, and he only played in 48. He then proceeded to score three straight 50-plus goal seasons, and then he had 33 in 2016-2017. He had 49 the year after. So he's... This is the crazy part about Ovechkin. Okay? Alexander Ovechkin, the whole... The whole break we're doing here is talking about how we tied Wayne Gretzky and Mike Bossy for the most 50-goal seasons in NHL history with nine. In 2006-2007, he scored 46 in 82 games. In 2012-2013, he had 32, but in 48. That pace, by the way, is like a 58-59 goal pace. In 2017-2018, he had 49. He was one away. In 2019-2020, that was the the COVID year. He had 48 and 68. That's a pace of like 57, 58 goals. He should have done this like 10 times. Oh, and by the way, in 2020, 2021, because I'm not counting the season, in 45 games, he had 24 goals. Also COVID shortened season. Absolute insanity. He has been through a lockout for his rookie year. He's been through a lockout shortened season in 2012-2013. COVID shortened year in 2019-2020 followed by 2020-2021 where over those two years he was only able to play only but 133 games which you would normally play 164. He has had so many games taken away from him. And despite all of that he still tied Wayne Gretzky. The greatest goal scorer ever Wayne Gretzky. And Mike Bossy, also one of the best pure goal scorers the world has ever seen. I also, condolences, Mike Bossy uh, also passed away. It's been a tough couple weeks so far for the NHL, but just I wanted to get that out there. 
But despite all of that, this is why Ovechkin's the greatest goal scorer of all time. He was robbed of his rookie year. He has scored 48 and 49 goals in the season before. He scored uh, 48 in 2019-2020 where he would have scored 50. He only he scored 24 last year in just 45 games. In 48 games in 2012-2013, he scored 32, which is a well over 50 goal pace. He should have shattered this record already. He should be within like 30, 40 goals of Wayne Gretzky right now. And he still might beat him. He's just, he's the most incredible goal scorer our league has ever seen. And I just don't want you to take for granted. I understand that I talk about Ovechkin a fair amount on this podcast. I don't maybe talk about Connor McDavid as much. Or I don't talk about Sidney Crosby as much. And I and there will be an episode where I devote a lot more to Sidney Crosby. There will be. And Crosby and Ovechkin, by the way, neck and neck in terms of points. But the hardest thing to do in this league today is score goals. We are having a breakout season in which players are, there are a multitude of players over the 100-point plateau, and we still have games left for players to even get there. There are still so few guys who are scoring 50-plus goals, let alone at the age of 36. Like, yeah, Dreisaitl's doing it. Matthews is doing it. They're all young and in their prime. I want to see them go out and have a 50-goal campaign at the age of 34, 35, 36. And just the level of greatness that we have seen has just been all time from this guy. And I, I hope he beats it. I'm rooting for greatness. I'm rooting for history here. 21, I think he passes Howe next year. And 114, he's got four years to do it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think he does it. All right, a couple of news and notes before we're going to head on out of here today. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have signed the uh, and won the Dryden McKay sweepstakes. The club signed reigning Hobie Baker Award winner and two year to a two-year AHL contract. McKay was named the NCAA's top men's hockey player uh, April 8th. The goaltender, who will turn 25 in November, set a national record in wins in a season, helped Minnesota State advance to the national championships. He had a 931 save percentage in 43 games in his senior year. He became an NHL pre, a free agent when the Mavericks lost to the title game to Denver. Now, also earlier in April, a couple days after winning the Hobie Baker, he accepted a six-month sanction by the USADA due to a doping violation. Uh, he'll be allowed to be on the Maple Leafs facilities uh, as of August 25th and can play in the Marlies beginning October 11th. He also went on afterwards and proved that part of the quote-unquote, like they called it a doping violation, it was a it was an ingredient hidden in a vitamin D capsule. That's what it was. Like I the whole, like, you, whenever you read stories like this, you got to read more into them. Like, oh, he was just, he was just suspended for doping. He's, he's a drug addict. It was a, it was an ingredient in a vitamin D pill that he took. I took vitamin D today. I took, I took vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin B, and omega-3, 6, and 9. I guarantee you there's something in one of those pills that would be, quote, caught on the anti-doping scale. There's an article on it. It, it. it was in a vitamin D pill that he took. That's what the solicited drug was. And he came out and he's like, I don't... You're not the Hobie Baker winner. You don't set a national record getting high before games. You just don't. 
He still accepted the suspension, the sanction, sorry, is probably going to learn and understand what pills and pills he can and can't take. But it was it was an ingredient in a vitamin D pill. That's the only thing we need to know about this. Uh, great move for the Leafs. A lot of people are over after him for a team that's probably looking at goaltenders moving forward with the situation with Jack Campbell and with um, Peter Morazic. They're probably looking for a young, and he's 25 too, so he's not 21 or 22. He's 25. He's played four years uh, at the NCAA level. We've seen players translate from the NCAA to the NHL very seamlessly, so this, this is a big win for them and really boosts their goaltending room. And then finally, Darnell Nurse's injury does not to be uh, appear to be as serious as one thought. Uh, it's going to keep him out the short term. Edmonton Oilers' top defenseman left Friday's game against the Colorado Avalanche with a lower body ailment. Was not with the club during its two-game road trip uh, beginning Sunday against Columbus. Uh, but he said it's nothing major. They just want to make sure he's ready and good to go for the playoffs. All right, that does it for the show today. Thank you very much for listening. As always, you can follow along on social media at ST Hockey Podcast, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Just search the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy the rest of the regular season. We'll come back next week with playoff matchups and a whole other bunch of fun stuff. It's going to be great. I can't wait. Playoff hockey around the corner. Going to be pumped about it. Enjoy. I'll see you next week. Until then, that's a wrap.